Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sub-Zero Coffee Podcast. I'm Kirk Pearson and today I'm joined by a very special guest, another guest from in Australia here in my new house. I've been here for six <laughs> days and um, this is the first in the home studio. So everyone, welcome to Jade Jennings. Hello. How, how have you been going, Jade? Yeah, good. COVID, yeah. COVID life got you good? Yeah, it's settled down now, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm cruising along at and the so moment. For those who don't know... Um, where do you work and what do you do? Uh, so I work at Valenciano Coffee Roasters mm-hmm. and I am or was uh, the National Training and Development Manager. So National Training and Development Manager. Yes. Now I'll ask you a little bit, little bit more about that later. Yep. But, but I always start by trying to get to know the guest a bit, mm-hmm. little bit more. So obviously your name is Jade. Yes. Where were you born? Uh, here in Melbourne or Dandenong to be... Dandenong. Yes, Dandenong. E- Eastern, Eastern uh, Southeast, yep. Uh, and uh, grew up in Roval, which is right next door to Dantinong. I used to work out there at Outback Jacks oh. in, in, in Knox, <laughs> serving serving premium steak. Yeah, chicken parmesan. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, that's cool. And there so, what are, what are your interests outside of coffee, Jade? Oh, uh, interests. Um, well, before having kids, I did have interests, and <laughs> so I. Uh, used to do theatre company, uh, so just amateur theatre. That's actually where I met my husband, Steve. Right. So we both uh, kind of ran this theatre group. Mm, into and the performing arts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I uh, used to dabble into that. Um, but it was more the, like, you know, obviously I did on stage. Um, I enjoyed that. But the behind the scenes, like stage managing, kind of really played into my wheelhouse of loving to organise things. So Yeah. Yeah. So that's the exact opposite sort of me. <laughs> I, I need someone to help me organise things. Well, you come to the right place, Kirk. Oh, well, <laughs> how much time have you got, Jade? <laughs> I actually love organising things, so yeah. Well, my house is looking a lot better than it was, you know, <laughs> before you got here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gave it a decent clean. Shit, the mum's coming, so yeah. <laughs> that, to me, that just means a vacuum, but yeah. very bare bones in here. And so what was your first job in coffee? First job in coffee was working, I was 24 at 24, the time. 24, yep. Mm-hmm. And I was actually working in the disability field as a care worker and I'd also gotten uh, my qualifications as a remedial therapist. But mm-hmm. I knew that those industries weren't right for me mm-hmm. and so I was kind of searching what I wanted to do and I saw this program on the TV, it was kind of talking about things on in Melbourne and there was a segment on Hudson's Coffee. Hudson's Coffee. And I thought, oh kind of cool I want to work in the city and I like working with my hands I love coffee I'll I'll be a barista like back then it was like no one was a barista Mm. um so yeah I just started just as a casual job till I found out what I really wanted to do and that was 15 years ago I never left so the industry so yeah so it was Hudson's Coffee was the first job that was in the city of Melbourne yep city uh, at the QV building and then but it was about the maybe at the five-year mark working for Hudson's that I was like, oh, what's this thing over here, that specialty coffee kind of a, uh, industry? I kind of want to go over in that direction. So that's when I kind of moved across to that. And so Hudson's, for anyone listening and may not already be aware, is a large chain in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're up to now with how many they've got, but they're mainly in uh, airports, uh, a lot of hospitals. So I actually ran... Um, one of the sites at the Ranwick Hospital um, in New South Wales uh, for about three months. 
that was a great experience. It was up on the seventh level of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So that was great, just like organising the team, getting the store, uh, you know, get some operations into the store. So, yep. yeah. Well, airports wouldn't be doing too great right now. No. But hopefully, no. hopefully they uh, – I mean – and I don't think hospitals are really booming at the moment either. No. So, no. Um, you know, I hope they're doing well. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a uh, the the original owners of Hudson's Coffee had a McDonald's background, so I loved the the structure and the um, the operations that they kind of like instilled into the staff. So well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up, actually, because a lot of those uh, a lot of chain stores. Mm-hmm. You might not necessarily get the greatest cup of coffee from them in in, in, your, in whoever's experience, but mm-hmm. um, the systems that oh. go into building yeah. the operations, it's consistent, yeah. sort of. And it's actually helped me coming into the specialty industry and working in cafes that didn't have systems. I'm like, oh, I just kind of thought this was like a given. So do my thing and get and, it organised. And so at what point did you think that specialty coffee was going to be a career for you? Was there... a I had a moment myself. Mm-hmm. Did you have a moment? Um, probably when when Seven Seeds opened up. 2007. Yeah, oh, see. Encyclopedia of Knowledge. Um, and, and the fact that they had like a coffee tree growing inside the cafe and I was like, oh, my God, I really want to get into this industry. And, you know, at the time I was an area manager, so I'd kind of worked my way up quite quickly with Hudson's Coffee. Um but I kind of wanted to revert back and, and get back onto the floor and, yeah, check out this specialty industry. So, um, yeah, it was probably at that stage and then that's when, like, I got a, a call from Craig Dixon. Uh, I was working in, a like, a concept store that Hudson's were doing and it wasn't doing too well and they were about to sell it and Craig and Rocky were going to buy cafe anyway so Craig Dixon and Craig Rocky Dixon Vene- and Rocky Veneziano mm-hmm. and um, anyway that fell through and Craig called me and he's like cool so what are you doing now like are you gonna stay working for Hudson's and they Hudson's wanted me to become the national training manager but I I knew that specialty coffee is kind of where I wanted to go and the fact that Craig was calling me I was just like oh my god yes I just jumped at the chance and um, I was the store manager I was uh running the First Poor Cafe in Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Is that still there today? No. So now it's Cafe Imports. So uh, ah. Joe Tynan has uh, moved in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which was funny because he used to work for Venence. And, um, yeah, so, and then we obviously moved around the corner. To yeah, have you got quite a big site. Yeah. With the cafe now? Yes, quite a big site. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so somewhere along the line there, you obviously, obviously have decided, well, yeah, specialty coffee is going mm-hmm. to be a career for me. It seems to have accelerated at some point because you entered competition and, mm-hmm. and tell us a bit about that. Uh, so I, I knew I always wanted to kind of get into competitions. Um, at Hudson's, I, so when I was working in that concept store, they were running like this annual barista competition and they had some pretty cool prizes. So the prize was going to be that year was a trip to Hawaii and Would visit, have been nice. Yeah, exactly. But they wanted me to uh, train the baristas on, you know, being, you know, into competition. I'm like, well, I'm a barista now. Like, I'm not an area manager. I want to compete. And they're like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, all right, sure. So anyway, I won. And wow. <laughs> I got you, you got to go to Hawaii. Yeah, and wow. that, that's actually where I met Pete Licata. 
over in Hawaii. Interesting. Yeah, it was. It's this really full circle thing. And what um, what year was that? Uh, two thousand and eleven. I think that's when I went over there. Yep. Or two thousand. Yeah, two thousand eleven. The same year that I then went and worked at Financiano. So, and he had just. I think. Oh, he'll kill me if I get the year wrong. But yeah, he'll. Um, that was he just finished. He just uh, placed first in the US Brewster competition. And he went on to win that in uh, the World Brewster competition in 2013. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. And then 2020 now, mm-hmm. you're working together. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't already know, <laughs> Pete Licata now works, has relocated to Australia and works for Veneziano Coffee Roasters. Yeah. And and in between, like, he obviously worked with uh, Craig Simon, um, in barista com- like you know coaching and then also with myself as well so mm. yeah we've all you know come around and you know he's living here in australia loving it now it's it's an interesting uh it, it's interesting the way the world works because uh, obviously you're talking about pete licata and you first encountered him before he won mm-hmm. the, the u.s and then world barista championship and um it, it it brings something funny up in my mind is when i first found out who you were and that was, uh, was that? <laughs> so I was working at a cafe called Miss Frank. So that's where I had my first job, which yes. was run by Eamon Sheehan. Yes, uh, I know Eamon. And he, so I was working as a, as a kitchen hand there. Oh. And um, this was back when I first started university and Eamon offered to teach me how to make coffee. <laughs> and at the time. Because he was taught by Craig Simon, so yeah. Well, this, is, this is where this all comes into play because <laughs> at, at the time I had no interest in coffee. I drank mockers and chais. Yeah, but you've got to start somewhere. I washed the dishes. Yep. I studied hard. Awesome. I drank a lot of beer. Um, <laughs> and that's just what that's what you did when you lived on campus at university. Yeah. But um, after a few weeks of making coffee, uh, an article in Bean Scene had come out and Jade Jennings had won the Victorian <laughs> Brewster Championship. <laughs> and then uh, I think a year or two later I went to uh, – I went to the to MICE, the yeah. uh, Melbourne International Coffee Expo, and w- when I walked in, you were doing a routine. Uh, you were doing your routine for the national brewster competition, yep. using Rwandan coffee. Yes, I just I walked in and you were just I can't remember the words exactly, but you were you were talking about your love for Rwandan coffee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where did that start? Uh, so, well, I wanted I knew I obviously wanted to get into competitions, but I wanted to go a little bit left, left of centre and I didn't want to just choose a, a shit-hot coffee that I knew that was going to score well. I wanted to tell a story uh, about a producer and a country that probably doesn't get the, the recognition that it probably should in mm. the specialty industry. Um, and I also wanted to choose a female producer as well. So I went and spoke to uh, Fleur at um, MTC. Fleur Stood? Yeah. yeah. And um, If you're listening, Fleur, I'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> I love Fleur. Um, and, yeah, she told me about uh, the story of Epiphany over in Rwanda and I, I just knew that I kind of had to tell that story. So that's kind of where the, the love for Rwandan coffee kind of started. So she had an epiphany in Rwanda? <laughs> yeah, basically. Did you have so a similar experience? <laughs> yes. Um, I did actually ma- uh, manage to go over to Rwanda uh, the next uh, – or oh, in 2016. So I, I competed with a Rwandan coffee, uh, so Epiphany's Coffee from Buff, in 2016. And one of the judges was Richard Corney of Raw Material. And he had just come back from Rwanda – 
and he was about to go over to Rwanda uh, the next month and he's like, hey, you know, yeah, you didn't win, but how about a trip to Rwanda? Come over with me and, um, you know, you can see the washing stations and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And it's quite magical being at Origin, isn't it? Because yeah. I think uh, it, it, sometimes when you think Africa, you think dry desert plains. It, that's exactly what I had in yeah. my mind and Rwanda is far from that. Yeah, it, very, it's, very green, very lush. Yeah, they call it the land of a thousand hills and it literally is that. It's just rolling hill after rolling hill. It's stunning, um, just gorgeous. And so I was kind of taken aback by how beautiful the landscape was and um yeah to to be there in an origin it was um it was a, it was an amazing experience did you see any cool animals in your trips no no cool animals no i don't know the I only don't think wa- so. so people you know people always judge australians because we've got like crazy <laughs> spiders do, yeah. and snakes and stuff but i barely ever see them you know, seeing a cougar or a gorilla or a giraffe or something would be no, pretty badass. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see any wildlife. No, the, the most the most insane wildlife I've seen was probably a wild boar when I was <laughs> in Korea last year. In Korea? Yeah, I went. I, what? I, just down the streets? No, no, no. <laughs> I was, I went, there's a there's a island off the south of Korea called Jeju Island. Oh. And I went there by myself and was just hiking one morning. And as I was just about to summit, I saw this boar and I just hid. I just thought, I want, no, I want no part of this. Um, but where we're going with the yes. Rwanda uh, mention is mm-hmm. that obviously, I'll, not obviously, if anyone listening hasn't already heard, uh, on May the 7th, mm-hmm. uh, so just last month, um, there were some horrific floods, mudslides yep. uh, that occurred in this region that you visited. Um, yeah, it was the region I visited was a, a little south from... The region that was affected, Nibiru. Uh, Nibir. Um, it's about four hours away from where I visited. But, uh, yeah, it was um, pretty tragic um, mudslides that occurred. And I guess the horrific thing that came out of it was uh, that 28 people lost their lives. Mm. And these are members of um, the Marahu family. So there's two coffee washing stations in the area, Shira and Vunga. And they're owned and run by Marahu Trading Company. And um, so Gads and Karthik are the brothers that have started up this company. And they're, they're the brothers that I stayed with over mm. in Rwanda. So it kind of has this, uh, I like, I've got a bit of a close tie with it. Yeah. And so I guess before we go on with this, uh, it's probably good to give context to the nature of coffee growing in Rwanda yeah. and some of these African nations where largely it's small producers so this mm-hmm. could be people with trees in their backyard or they have a little plot of land and that's exactly how it all started um everyone over in rwanda kind of has coffee trees in their backyard um they were forced to grow these coffee trees uh when they were colonized by the belgians and um you know they're amazing coffee trees they're bourbon mm-hmm. and uh but back in the day coffee was really just a commodity crop for Rwanda Mm. and it wasn't until after the genocide that happened um, there was an initiative set up by Tim Schilling uh, called the Pearl Initiative uh, partnership in enhancing agricultural relationships through linkages and it was about creating some economic stability for the people of Rwanda um, through specialty coffee Mm -hmm. so they oh thank you Um, and because they they obviously had the 
the trees there. They just didn't have the knowledge or, um, you know, the infrastructure to turn it into specialty coffee. So mm. that's how that initiative kind of started. So, yeah, so everyone kind of has, you know, a small plot of coffee trees. And they'll submit those cherries, so coffee, of course, coming from a cherry, to a co-op? Yeah, um, to the to the washing stations. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll go along and um, and sell those cherries to the washing stations and it's it's there that, you know, they're produced. And, yeah, this is something that supplements their income, mm-hmm. which obviously isn't substantially high in countries like this. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and for a lot of producers, is a, is a side hustle. Yeah. Um, so they might have other jobs that they do during. Yeah, the day. and 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 often they have other crops as well. Mm. Um, so you know the coffee trees are growing in amongst you know maize or or whatever. So it is kind of just a bit of a yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to raw material, mm-hmm. raw material have a fundraiser mm-hmm. online right now for. Um, for this exact disaster, so if yep. anyone wants to go to rawmaterial.com, mm-hmm. you can you can see that they've got a GoFundMe page set up, and also um, in uh, in Veneziano, you're selling a coffee, the proceeds of which are going to benefit the yeah. those affected. Yeah, by that's right. So, hundred um, percent of the proceeds of uh, Shira, um, which was one of the washing stations that was affected, uh, is is going to go to that GoFundMe page that was set up by Matt Grayley, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think they're currently sitting at about uh, fifty, just under fifty three thousand that they've raised. Um, the first phase is uh, wanting to raise money for um, you know much needed uh, immediate needs, so things like food and clothing and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's another two phases after this initial one that is um, they're going to need quite a lot of money. So mm. larger companies donating, I guess. Yeah, so if anyone's listening, I really encourage you to make a donation to that. Everything goes a long way and even though money's tight in Australia right now, mm-hmm. we're everywhere in the world, it's um, you know, it's just been such a horrible year, hasn't it? Oh, and just close it down, just yeah, like <laughs> let's just, just <laughs> We need to rebrand twenty twenty. We totally know. do. And you know what? At the start of the year everyone was so excited. It was like, this is gonna be the year I'm gonna get my health back and everything was just pumping for twenty twenty, but nah, just close it down. But <laughs> I, I guess, you know, without trivialising it, I guess it compounds the issues being faced in Rwanda because mm. um, Africa it would seem, and looking mm. at the uh, the coronavirus tally, which I do every morning, um, the numbers are rising in Africa, and yeah. uh, you know, obviously, this this disease or virus has the capacity to permeate quite quickly, mm-hmm. and it's doing so in in Africa, which is terrible. And then when you can imagine already having the anxiety about that, and everyone's everyone in all those countries is feeling the economic impact. Yeah, to have on top of that. Yeah. A disaster like this yeah. where, you know, I saw a video on Raw Materials mm. um, uh, website where they, you know, someone had said they lost their mother. It's just... Oh, I know. It's that, just awful. I know. It's horrible. And so, I mean, the guys with, with Marajo, they they treat the, the people that, you know, are selling their cherries to these washing stations. They're part of their family. So, um, they've always been big on building a community. Um, so, for them to be hit like that, it's, yeah quite devastating it's it's um it's a bit cruel in a way that it works like this but it seems to me that the people so having been to origin myself Mm -hmm. and visited the people that 
just absolutely gorgeous when you're there. Yeah. And you get treated like royalty. Oh, you, yeah, you do. But they always seem to have a much more positive outlook on life than perhaps I would here in Australia. Well, because their life is simpler over there. You mm. know, I think we get kind of distracted with so, so much that become it's you realize that it's not important and i i definitely noticed that after all the restrictions that have or you know the the lockdown that's happened um i'm i'm looking at life a little bit differently as well like you know i'm wanting to spend more time with my family Mm. you know focusing on the things that really matter Mm. um and everything else is yeah just trivial yeah well it 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 just uh, it, it it does bring great sadness thinking about coffee producers and this coffee has legs too. It's delicious yeah. coffee. Mm-hmm. Rwandan coffee is outstanding, and and um, all the coffee that comes out of Mohara is that how you pronounce uh, it? Yeah. All the coffee that comes out of that washing station that I've tried is fantastic. So if anyone listening is um, interested in buying some Rwandan mm-hmm. red but bond, you can log on to Veneziani Coffee Roasters dot com and buy some Ciara. Uh yeah. Oh Shira. Shira. Yeah. And not only will you get a delicious bag of coffee, but you'll be um, you'll be sending money to a, a much needed destination. So yeah. I encourage everyone to go buy some, or even just donate to the GoFundMe on Raw Materials website. Yeah, and I think if any um, roasters that are wanting to get involved with, um, I, I know uh, Jesse May of Raw Material is kind of heading up this uh, round table. Uh, zoom meeting once a fortnight where a bunch of international roasters are kind of getting together and discussing ways of how we can raise money for the area um first for rwanda but then uh, eventually it will become for other countries that are hit with economic disaster so if any roasters or large coffee companies that are wanting to get involved i think getting in touch with raw material um and become part of that veneziano is part of that as well um I, I think it'd be much needed. So they can drop you an email at yeah. Veneziano? Yeah, definitely. Drop me an email and I'll pass you on to um, the guys at Raw. Not What's a your problem. Email? Jennings at Veneziano Coffee, one word, dot com dot au. Uh, you all heard it. If you can spell Veneziano. <laughs> you all heard it. Send an email to that to that um, email address if you have a genuine desire to help. Yeah, Don't yeah. spam Jade's email, please. No. Um, <laughs> But Rwandan coffee, so for geographically speaking, Rwanda is just below Uganda, mm-hmm. above Burundi. Yes, I think so, yep. And then close to... <laughs> I'm never been good at geography. Yep. Next to Uganda, this is East Africa, we're talking is Kenya, and above that, mm-hmm. Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, now, it's, it's, um, it's quite a small country, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, it is quite a small country. But um, it, yeah, like I said before, it's totally different landscape to what I imagined and I actually had an, an opportunity to travel to Burundi as part of that trip as well um, just for a couple of days and Burundi is a, v- a very very poor country uh, it's actually what I envisioned Rwanda to be like um, Burundi's kind of like the the land that time forgot um, you know a lot of mud brick houses and, and that kind of stuff um, but very very lush as well um, but yeah, Rwanda and Burundi, yeah. Well, interesting to bring up Burundi because Burundi's president recently, I think last week, passed away because of coronavirus. Really? And so yeah, there's um, there's a bit of, I think there's a bit of anxiety about what the situation yeah. is going to be like. I can't comment. I don't have many expertise on East African politics. No, but, um, um, uh, Richard Corney is probably the best one to <laughs> to comment on that. Yeah. But I would hope that that. Um, 
you know, the transition of power is done peacefully and, you yeah. know, they've got a they've got a great candidate for the next lot. Um, and so what was your experience? You, you mentioned that you had other opportunities to use other coffees in your competition days. Mm-hmm. Were you, were, were you sort of, um, did you have people really heavily advising you against yes. making the choices you did? <laughs> I certainly did. Yeah, it was, it was about the time that uh, Geisha Village was coming out. Fantastic farm. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, I was definitely given the opportunity um, for nationals. They're like, cool, so, yeah, you've done the Rwanda thing. Um, look, maybe you try these coffees. And they were amazing. They tasted amazing, but I had no connection to them. Mm. Um, and I just kind of – I like to deep dive and I tend to be all or nothing. So I just didn't I, – I just couldn't see myself – just using a coffee for the sake of using a coffee to score well, mm. I kind of felt like even if I was to win, it would feel a bit hollow. Do you think there's competitors out there that could perhaps learn from something like you've just said? They're, they've married themselves to the idea of using such an outstanding mm. coffee but perhaps don't provide the context for using it? Yeah. And do you think a judge can pick up on that? Yes. Right. I, 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 th- I think so. I mean, you need to have – a connection with the coffee. You can definitely tell when a barista is kind of rattling off that the you know the information about um, you know coffee that you can see on a website. I or should that add kind of here stuff. as well that you also <laughs> judge barista competitions yeah. as well as ha- having competed. When I'm them. not competing, I'm judging. Mm. Uh, I like to keep my you know my toes wet in the in the industry. But um, yeah, I I think when you go to compete, it needs to be more than just to win. Yeah. It, for me, it wasn't about winning. It was about increasing my skill set as a barista. I had just become the national training manager mm-hmm. and we had for Venenciano and we had implemented these uh, barista assessments. And, uh, you know, the baristas needing to follow a certain uh, skill set and, you know, we, we mark them. And I thought, well, if I'm making these baristas kind of put themselves out there, I, I need to be better than them and I need to put myself out there. So that's kind of the drive to compete. That's an interesting point you raised because I can think of a few trainers that, um, you know, they're supposedly being paid to teach you but mm-hmm. perhaps one might feel that they're more qualified for their job than them. Um, yeah. But that's that's an interesting point you raised because the people who are teaching other people to make coffee mm-hmm. – Need to essentially be upskilling themselves. Oh, without a doubt, because mm. otherwise you're just a fraud. <laughs> and you think competition is a good gateway oh, for that? Competition's amazing. Whether it's competing, I mean, not everyone wants to compete. Not everyone wants to stand up on stage. But whether it's competing or judging um, or just getting involved in in that circle um, is definitely you know you're going to learn so much um, that you can then pass on to your students. I found it the most – I've only done one season and I found it um, very stressful. <laughs> yes. You know, when you – I was um, – so the day before my first comp, <laughs> I had my last ever uni exam. Oh, my God. That was the most crazy week of my life. <laughs> You're mental. So um, work had given me the week off and <laughs> I was doing 18-hour days. Oh, my uh, God. So I'd study and then go train. Mm-hmm. At the roastery when no one was there. Yeah, that's just yep. how I like doing it. That's how I did it. Um, and my sisters would, they had sort of, God bless their souls, they had planned my dinners out, and washed my clothes. Yeah, because you weren't going to do it. You'd be getting takeaway every night. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and <laughs> you just you you kind of just turn, you kind of it's like turning into Gollum of oh, the Rings. Yeah, you, you you go in there, an innocent little hobbit, and you come out this mm-hmm. ghoul dependent on the ring. <laughs> it's all consuming. It really is. Um, but you know, pressure creates diamonds. So did you did you did you have your first baby Isla mm-hmm. while you were competing? No. So I. So I actually com- – my first competition was in 2013 mm-hmm. and I placed third in the regionals, 10th uh, overall nationally, and then I fell pregnant that year. Um, I had Isla and, yeah, it was three years later that I decided that I wanted to compete again. And, uh, yeah, there's a, fo- a cute photo at the regionals um, in 2016 with her holding the trophy um, while I'm standing up on stage. So she thought everyone was there to see her. Balancing motherhood <laughs> plus competing must have been tough. Uh, yes, extremely tough. Like I couldn't have done it without the support of my husband Steve and my family. Um, but I, if anything, I just, I kind of just wanted to do it for her to show that, you know, you can do anything that you want to do. Yeah, you've had kids, whatever. If you really want to do something, you've got to do it. But I think that's an excellent example to set for other I mean, outside of coffee, a lot of women in Australia mm-hmm. feel discouraged to have a baby because it might impact their career. Um, yeah. And, um, and there seems to be less and less support all the time for working mums mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just indiscriminately, the, the Prime Minister just removed the wage subsidy for, mm. for um, childcare, which, yeah. which when it started was a great idea and I, I'm surprised they took it out so quick. Well, it mm-hmm. was the first to go. Yes. Um, so that was surprising, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how you did it because I can't even take care of myself. I don't know how myself. I did it. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was crazy. But uh, you know, having the support of my friends and family was um, definitely what kind of got me through. Yeah, I want to ask some questions about Dr- Jade, the trainer now. Oh. So you're the national training manager for Veneziano. Mm-hmm. What does that say you do? <laughs> before COVID, what did well, that say you do? Well, before COVID, so basically we have um, a trainer in each of our states. So uh, we've got Jai up in uh, Brisbane. Um, we've got Mel in Surrey Hills, uh, TJ in ACT, Mike Wells, uh, you might have heard of him, uh, in South Australia. And um, so it's basically setting up set certain standards for those trainers. So I've written all the facilitator guides for um, the classes that we run and it's just ensuring that the trainers are training to the same standard as everyone else so and sharing knowledge and, and all that kind of stuff. That's a really hard thing to do in today's co- coffee industry is that I, I, I get a lot of people ask me um, that aren't in coffee mm-hmm. or want to enter the coffee industry, what course should I do? Mm. And I always struggle to give an answer on that. Yeah, we, we get a lot of people that are wanting to enter into the industry and they're like, oh, so like, can I get a certificate? And it's like, oh, yeah, you can get it. Like, we're not accredited, but they, and they tend to want to go to those accredited courses, but they're not specialty coffee courses that offer those accreditations. Um, and so... You know, it's, I try to tell them that it's more about the skills that you can learn. Come to one of our classes. I'll give you a certificate. That's fine for your CV. Um, but I know I've run cafes. Anytime I see a certificate in a resume, I'm not, I don't really pay attention to it. 
It doesn't always work in practice. No. no I get the barista up on the machine. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, even for me, when I've had to hire people, the personality test is a big one for me. Mm. Um, coffee can be taught. Yeah, um, exactly. And depending where you are applying for a job, you, you some places you pretty, ma- pretty much have to start from scratch again. Yeah. Because um, for anyone who doesn't work as a barista... Um, it's not all the same from no. shop to shop. It's, no. It's actually wildly different yeah. the, way, the way people make coffee. Yeah. And whenever we had like a barista coming in, Dico would always be like, you know, come on, you've got to show them the Veneziano way. And, you know, we'd be teaching them, you know, how we do things. So so how many courses do you have? Oh, um, oh, well, before the whole COVID, we were about to kind of launch this kind of coffee university with different levels and we were kind of changing things up. Um, active courses, I think we've got about six, but we were, we've got a few in the pipeline that are about to come out as well. And do you work with anyone on developing those or? Yeah, so, so Pete Licata well, is obviously like, you know, I mean, there. we've kind of got him in the house. We've got to utilise him. While uh, he's there. <laughs> while he's there. Um, but also the Victorian trainers, um, uh, Jason and Erin, um, you know, we're all kind of collaborating together and, you know, um, it's not just about me saying this is the, the curriculum. Um, everyone's kind of putting in what they want to kind of be teaching. Like So TJ in ACT, you know, he's written this maintenance course and um, we're in just in the process of him kind of filming that because we think that that would be more suited to um, like, yeah, an online course rather than a face-to-face course. Well, the online, co- the online stuff is probably you know, particularly pertinent at yes. times like this. And interestingly, in, interestingly enough, and uh, you might be in a position to give some good commentary on this, mm-hmm. Jade. Um, we did a podcast with Ross Quayle back uh, oh, yes. three or f- uh, how many weeks ago now? Five weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and he had this assessment on on coffee uh, in general is that people are not drinking any less um, in Australia, at least. People are not drinking any less coffee than they were before. The lockdown happened. Oh no, they're drinking more. They're, drink, they're, they're drinking just the same, if not more. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if I can edit this out if we're not allowed to talk, <laughs> talk about it. But Veneziano do a bit of contract roasting. Yes. And it's really accelerated. Yes. From what I've well, heard. yeah, it did accelerate at the start, and then I think it might have. Um, I don't know where it's currently sitting at. I mean. We've got like all these different sections um, in the building, you know, uh, the cafe is not allowed to kind of go into the roastery now and and so there's kind of like, not a division, but there's, I don't know as much as what I kind of used to know, so. Yeah, so obviously, um, you know, you have to be inducted to walk into a, into a warehouse and yes. these sorts of things, so there's yep. probably a bit of occupational health and safety about it, but yeah, I find that fascinating that um, people... I've, I've even had people reach out to me. They're wanting to be more empowered or want, wanting to have the skills to make better coffee at home. I have so many people that are still emailing going, hey, when are you starting up your retail classes again? I'll wear a mask. I don't mind. Um, and it's like at the moment we're just at a business critical stage. So all of the trainers have been redeployed into the state cafes. So we're not doing any training, um, which is kind of – kind of shit but um we are happy to have a job and it's not such a bad thing for the trainers to be brushing up on their barista skills so if i so if i come into veneziano on river street Mm -hmm. on a particular day i can Mm -hmm. have a coffee made by jay jennings 
Yeah, the, if, if I, the oh, Jay James. <laughs> if I'm uh, allowed behind the bar, I tend to be on the floor a little bit more. What do you mean allowed behind the bar? Don't you choose? <laughs> Shouldn't <No>. you dictate? <laughs> Maybe you should speak to the staff there. No, um, I just do what I'm told, basically. So, yeah, so I just fill in the gaps. So, yeah, I'll go on to the, onto the coffee machine. But I also love serving people at the register, mm. having a bit of banter with uh, customers at the tables and – yeah, I just love the hospitality industry. So, yeah, Appearing it's a fun. Appearing on the Sub-Zero podcast every now and then doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm certainly going to come at some okay. stage. Well, you don't know, know what days that I'm working. Well, I'll have to, <laughs> you'll have to tell me. Tuesday and a Wednesday? Tuesday, Tuesday and a Wednesday. You heard it here first, <laughs> Melbourne. Um, so, if someone's learning to make coffee, mm-hmm. the part, what would your suggested pathway be? Do you think just getting a job is the first step? Like. Because it, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? It, so it is a tough. I th- I definitely think doing like some kind of an introduction to espresso class isn't going to hurt. But yeah, if you can get your foot in the door, even if it's not necessarily just on the coffee machine, like you pr- you're not probably going to be allowed on the coffee machine straight away. None of us none of us are. But if you are just showing, you know, positive attitude, um, you've got a smile on your face, and you know you're personable and you can interact with customers, then you're probably going to get that opportunity. And day in, day out, though, what are some of the things that can help someone improve? Because there was a, there was a stage when I first started making coffee mm-hmm. at Eamon's shop where people would walk in and they'd say, oh, can someone else make the coffee? <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to shake that that tag. Yeah. You, you, look, you've got to be really observant and, and be watching how that barista is making the coffee. Um, and you've just got to be persistent. You've just got to keep going and going and going and eventually something snaps and you do make better coffee you feel like a bit of a don when you get better though yeah yeah like i i used to suck at making coffee <laughs> really really bad and you know i, I don't claim to be great but yeah. you know it's definitely a lot better than it used to be yeah and um when you work with fantastic coffee as well it's certainly yeah. um we had a few cuppers before we started this podcast and mm-hmm. that, was pr- that was pretty nice that was delicious um but yeah, it's very rewarding once you once you learn the skills. Yeah, but I think it's also staying humble where you're like, I might not necessarily, there's still more to learn. Like I'm always, always learning. Mm. So, and you know, the new baristas that are coming up through the ranks and I'm like, oh, then they kind of drive you to get better and... What do you think? What do you think are some of the things that baristas that you teach mm-hmm. tend to worry about or ask you questions about that are perhaps a little bit irrelevant? Are you thinking they ask you and you think why are you focusing on that? Uh, I mean, pe- probably baristas that are that are probably new to the industry. Um, things like, I mean, they tend to focus a lot on the latte art and they want to kind of you know make the coffee looking. Instagrammable and all that kind of stuff. Well, people eat with their eyes. Yeah, mm. true. Um, but I mean, I would much rather have a you know a tasty cappuccino with a monk's head on it um, than you know a washed out rosetta. So, you know, we really teach the baristas to not focus on latte art to start off with. It's really about you know uh, retaining that crema, bringing it all the way up to the top, no washout, uh, and then you can develop those skills on. Latte art, and so does everyone that works at the cafe in Veneziano. Do they go through this process? Uh, yes, uh, but then you know we definitely have some baristas, uh, you know, that do amazing latte art, like Ben Benjamin 
Chong is on, oh, yeah, he's yeah. on the bar and he does like some amazing stuff and I keep telling him to stop showing off. Mm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so they all go through those, that same process. And, and so in competition, mm-hmm. just going quickly back to your competition, we, we spoke about the sort of connecting to the coffees. Do you think there's other things that competition baristas focus on that they perhaps shouldn't? Like, you know, what's unimportant that a lot of people seem to think is important? Um, I don't know. You can, like, I mean, I can definitely um, admit to maybe procrastinating a little bit on uh, finding the right uh, table setting and <laughs> that kind of stuff and mm. making sure that everything, like, looks right and, you know, getting a vase of flowers and all that stuff. And it's like, it's really just procrastination and not focusing you on know, what if you I need had, to. <laughs> if I had my time again in um, competing in a barista competition, I reckon I'd write the script a week before. Right, yeah. I just think I focus so much on the that script. That terrifies me. And the, <laughs> and, and the, and the, the speech side of things. Um, yeah, you've really, you've really got to kind of separate it. So there is the script and there's a story and developing that, but you've got to work on the skill set. Like if you can't work on the skill set, like there's no point. Yeah, well, I, I just focus too much on talking, on talking and not producing the best coffee yeah. that I've ever made and or had in my life. Yeah. Which... Um, I guess, was why I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. But what else are you up to now, Jade? Uh, so, yeah, so obviously working in the cafe and mm-hmm. um, being a mum. And um, and, and we haven't mentioned your son yet, Joel. No, Joel, yes. How old's so Joel So he's turning two in August. He's wow. a handful, yeah. Boys are a handful. Yeah, right. <laughs> Any differences between Joel and Isla? Yeah, worlds apart. Yes, mm. I think he... Um, He's a little bit more shy than Isla. Um, mm. He's not really talking too much. He's a little bit like you get him to say a word and he'll kind of like whisper it because mm. he doesn't want to kind of say it out loud and get it wrong. Um, where Isla's just like, you know, front and centre. What do you think the future holds for the coffee industry, Jade, beyond, um, let's say, for example, when when life turn, returns to somewhat normal? Do you think there are some things about the coffee industry that are forever changed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I definitely think service standards are going to change. Um, I, I wonder, I mean, we're getting a lot of people to, you know, be signing in uh, into the cafe. They've got to register their details, um, pre-bookings and pay, uh, you know, paid up front. I wonder if that kind of stuff is going to stay. Um, you know, we are always kind of like manually distributing our coffee. Um, now we're not doing that. So we're you know, using a distribution tool. I don't know whether that's kind of going to stick around. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess there's certain things. I, I kind of thought to myself um, probably towards the end of last year that coffee was falling off a bit of a financial cliff <laughs> yeah. um, because there's just this multitude of wholesale roasters mm. and in, in the industry and um, there seems to be more and more people entering and then there's always new cafes popping up and yeah. people are undercutting each other all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, coffee is just not meant to be a cheap drink, no. in my opinion, yep. because, you know, the cheaper it is, the more suffering, in effect, someone is... Down the line, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of was hoping and thought that the $4 latte culture would end mm-hmm. and I still really hope it does. I, I do think that... We are probably going to see cafes having to increase their prices. Uh, and 
I think the consumer will probably be a little bit more understanding because of they can see businesses are closing. They can see that, you know, restrictions and lockdown has affected business. So hopefully that can change. But it's quite um, Melbourne Specialty Coffee, as much as I love it, and, you know, this might not be a consensus view, but mm-hmm. in many ways I think it's predatory mm. in the sense that um, it relies on people to work for beyond below the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gotten a lot better in, in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but I think it's predatory on people like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's predatory on international students that come to Melbourne uh, in Australia. So um, we have a quite a punitive immigration mm-hmm. system for, for people coming to study in Australia. Not only do they fill the university coffers with money, so they pay mm-hmm. tens of thousands per year for a university degree, they're only permitted to work 20 hours a week, Yeah, which I don't know how anyone is supposed to survive mm-hmm. on that. And so it forces them to create their own business like a, an Uber Eats mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. the drive Uber. And um, it's those people that work below the counter and get paid very, lo- very yeah. well below the minimum. And a, a, lot, of, a lot of those you know, I have seen in the past, those baristas, you know, they get sent to training and they might not necessarily be paid for mm. that time for training. It's kind of like, well, you know, it's part of your, your education. It's like... Well, a lot of a lot of cafes can't actually afford to be in business. That's right. And um, you know, it, it it hurts in a way because I've worked for people in the past where um, you know I was seriously underpaid, mm-hmm. but they've got a sports car yeah. and their kids go to some private school mm. and go to go on holidays every year. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the things that I'd like to see eliminated from the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of a forced reckoning that will um, – I mean, th- it will still – I think it will forever be there. Yeah. But – But hopefully it becomes a bit more of a level playing field. Yeah. And um, like I said before, a lot of those places just can't – couldn't couldn't ever afford to actually be in business. And mm-hmm. this isn't just exclusive to coffee. This is hospitality yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. And pr- it's probably much more of a worldwide issue than, yeah. than we've said. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that part changes. Yeah, I hope so. It'll be really interesting to see what kind of comes out of it, definitely. And Jade, the last question I usually ask the guests, what's the best coffee you've ever had? You can give me like a one, two, three. You can yeah, just rattle <laughs> off a few, whatever. <laughs> uh, look, there's definitely some ones that have kind of sti- stuck in my mind. Um, I'm terrible with coffee names, but um, the, and Todd might remember, but the – Coffee that Anthony Douglas used in 2018 at the regionals. Uh, I can I get think this. La Palma Lactic? No. Yeah, I don't know. But I've asked oh, him before. Columbia Castle John. Colum- yes. Yep. Yeah, and... Castle John, sorry. Yeah, and the... Uh, I think his notes were like, you know, uh, a green tea finish. And it was um, <laughs> undoubtedly green tea and I'd never tasted green tea in an espresso before it was just smack in the face it was it was delicious uh, so that coffee um, something a little bit closer to home uh, the uh, Rwanda natural that I uh, used in uh, 2017 I love Rwanda naturals yeah they're just so good and that was actually the first legally processed Rwanda natural Right, are they compelled to uh, uh, wash? Well, yeah, because of the whole, um, the, you know, setting up of these washing stations to create economic stability, nat- naturals were seen as like, a, you know, 
poor practices, you know, they would basically be drying them on the side of the road and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, the coffee board basically said to um, Marahu, they said, oh, you, you need to throw that out. You can't produce that coffee. And uh, uh, Richard Corney wrote to the board and said, look, this is highly sought after process. Like, we, you'll get top dollar for this and, you know, I'm going to be paying the guys above market for this and so that they can experiment. And, um, yeah, that was delicious. That was like strawberry Sunday. It was, yeah. Strawberry Sunday. But it was that day that I used it, luckily for me, that and it had never tasted like that. It was just – it was definitely had that, those strawberry notes, but there was something about that day – um, tasting it in setup time um, through milk it was just yeah delicious See, in my I, mind. I had a similar experience when I was doing setup but it didn't seem to translate <laughs> to the actual performance it's like judges this is what I tasted so yeah that 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 coffee and um, yeah and those coffees that you gave me before super delicious oh yes we had the La Negrita natural geisha from Campos mm-hmm. big roaster here in Australia and the anaerobic natural from Monogram, which mm. is the Kopi de Dota, the cinnamon yeah, donut. That was super, super Fan- yum. Fantastic coffees. But um, before we finish, Jay, just a reminder that anyone who wants to help out with the mm-hmm. uh, situation in Rwanda that we've spoken about today, visit rawmaterial.com. Mm-hmm. I think it's rawmaterial.com. Yeah, there's a link to uh, the GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, e- every little bit helps. That money is going to go a long way. I, I know that they were talking about maybe uh, setting up a website where people can purchase a coffee tree for $5, maybe with their name on it. Um, they did a similar initiative uh, for Al Phoenix in Colombia a couple of years ago. So there could be that opportunity as well. So, Excellent. yeah, every little bit helps. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I really encourage everyone listening to to make a donation because if the world didn't have that coffee, the world would be a less exciting and less flavoursome place, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, we need to support those producers. Otherwise, we're going to be out of business. So Yeah, well, okay, we need to finish on something positive, mm-hmm. Jay. Okay. We, we, we just have to. I didn't have anything <laughs> in mind, but we just we, we, we have to finish on a positive. I think the, so. The motto for Sub-Zero Coffee is stay cool, and that's like, Stay cool. Well, that can be anything. That could be Fonzie cool. That mm-hmm. can be Yolanda be cool. You know, <laughs> just have to end with a laugh. I think we've done it. I think so. Yeah. I think so. That'd be I'm it. feeling pretty cool today. So yeah. And you know, after, it's nice and chilly in Melbourne. After seeing your freezer full of coffee, so. Yes. That's full of coffee. It's it's a big chest freezer full of coffee and um, I, won't, I won't announce it just now, but we're right. going to have a, a big... Um, way of sharing that soon so super excited super excited but thank you so much for coming on today jade oh, i'm super chuffed that you asked me thank you so much well i, I you you were on the shortlist from the get-go so oh, um, i don't know about that <laughs> no you were uh, we're, t- no, we're talking about that don't do oh, me like thank that jade. You, thank you but thank yes you lovely to have you on and as always everyone stay cool